Welcome to Charting the Course, the official podcast of the Hilton Group at UBS. I'm your host, Betty Galligan. Let me tell you a little bit about the Hilton Group. Established in Newport, Rhode Island by Jamie Hilton in 1991, the Hilton Group Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services is focused on serving a select number of ultra-high net worth clients who see Jamie and his team as personal CFOs, providing customized and tailored wealth management strategies. Welcome to another episode of Charting the Course the official podcast of the Hilton Group at UBS Private Wealth Management in Newport, Rhode Island. I'm Betty Galligan, your host, and today I'm talking with Jamie Hilton, Managing Director of UBS Wealth Management and a financial advisor at the Hilton Group that he founded back in 1991. Our topic for discussion is why having a financial plan is so important, especially during a volatile market. So welcome, Jamie. Hi, Betty. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, Jamie, tell us, how do you define a volatile market? There probably is a book definition or a dictionary definition of a volatile market someplace, but one thing I can say about a volatile market, like some other things, I'm not sure how I would define it, but I know it when I see it. And the thing about investments is, in many cases, people feel it. They actually feel in their stomach Mm -hmm. and their nerves. And, you know, as the market is going down, um, in what seems like it's going to be going down for forever. So, you know, I would define a volatile market. It, interestingly enough, volatile markets can go up and volatile markets can go down. But people typically think of volatile markets only in, in them going down. That's true. That's true. It's more like scary. Scary. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So why is planning, financial planning in particular, so important during this type of a scary market situation? Well, that goes right to the name of the show, Charting the Course, because when it comes to investing and saving money for retirement or saving money for some objective, whether it's to buy a house someday or put a grandchild through college or put a kid through college or you know, having money set aside to buy a building for your business, any one of those things takes some planning. And more often than not, with our clients, there are basically three things we're trying to help them with. We're trying to help them have enough liquidity, cash on hand or availability of cash to get through near-term obligations and even some that may be you know, a few months or a few years out. And then to build the resources to live on during retirement and then what they wanna have for a legacy. So what they wanna leave behind and think of it as legacy planning, whether that's providing you know, inheritance for future generations or funding some sort of nonprofit, maybe their alma mater, maybe a uh, charity that they feel very strongly about. All of that becomes much more attainable and achievable if it's thought through in a method and in a process of planning so that the goals are identifiable, but also the means to get there are identifiable. So let's just talk about retirement for the time being. What we try and do is help people make smart decisions with their finances so they can spend more time doing what they want to. Candidly, during volatile markets, or especially down volatile markets, that's really where we come in, I would say, where we're the most productive, where we basically provide the most value to our clients because people tend to invest emotionally during volatile markets. One of the stories I've always 
thought of during times like this, and my clients have heard this, our clients have heard this a dozen times or more each, is the stock market is the only store in the mall. If you think about going down to the mall, mm-hmm. the stock market's the only store in the mall where the lower prices go, the more people want to leave the store. And the higher prices go, the more people want to shop. Mm-hmm. So as prices go up in the stock market, people feel more, you know, like, wow, I want to get in, I want to buy. And then as prices start going down, like, oh, this doesn't feel very good. And so it's it's a flight response, you know, the old fight or flight response. Yes. And so as, as the market gets volatile and, and starts going down, people react emotionally. And the reason why planning is so important is is we talk to people, our clients, while we're doing the planning, helping them to determine how much money they need to live on in retirement, how they're going to save that money, how they're going to invest that money. And while we're doing that, we do so in a way that includes the fact that it's inevitable that down markets are going to happen. I mean, the reality is, is that statistically speaking, on average, not every year, but on average, the stock market goes you know, periodically it goes down. And roughly speaking, every three to seven years, the stock market will go down 30 or 40%. That's the normal rhythm of the market. Hmm. And so when we are working with our clients and getting started, one of the things we do is we say, we don't know why it's going to happen. We don't know exactly how it's going to unfold because every time we go into a bear market, the reasons why are, are different. Housing crisis, tech stock bubble, whatever the catalyst is right now, high inflation, Federal Reserve. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different reasons that are still you know, being debated why the market's going down now. To me, it's important, but it's not informative in the sense that for our clients, the key is what's your goal? What are we saving for? You know, when do you need that money? If you don't need that money for the next 10 years or 15 years, then is what happens in the next three months or six months really, really something that's actionable? I, I would say it's probably, that's a debatable. I would say probably not. And that's why I go back to part of what we talk to our clients about once we have the plan in place is how much liquidity do you need on hand? Because if and when a bear market comes, we don't want you to react emotionally. We want you to be thinking about, I have enough money to get through, assuming I'm already retired. I have enough money to get through this down cycle and I can let my dividends continue to pay. And even though the stocks that are in my portfolio might be down, you know, history would show there's a pretty good chance they're going to come back and come back and at some point in time go to new highs. So why would I react emotionally? When it comes to that, if I have a plan in place, I understand what's going to happen. I know what I need my money to do for me. I expect at different points in time, the market's going to go down. So it's not outside of the plan. Well, I would have to say, speaking of emotions, it's hard when you still know you have a plan and you are charting the course. You've you've charted the course, say for us, my husband and I say, but we look at the stock market being volatile. We're getting emotional because we just saw that we lost $100,000 in the last month in our 401k or something. And how do you work with your clients to stay the course? Well, that's where I think our role becomes, uh, and candidly, why we're most valuable to our clients during times like these. I, I would, you know, our title is uh, I'm a private wealth advisor. My partner is a financial advisor. Uh, our other partner, Tony, Tony Serino, is a financial advisor. I would say that our real job title during times like these would be 
behavioral financial therapist <laughs> because yes. really what our job, I liken it sometimes to if you're on an airplane at 30,000 feet and you had turbulence, you would do anything to stop going through the really bad turbulence because it's really scary. But getting off the plane at that point is probably not a good option. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think in terms of big picture and I, I tend to think in terms of, I'm an optimist. Okay. There have been bear markets throughout the course of investing history. They've happened before. They will happen again. It's potentially in the, in the NASDAQ stocks. It's clearly happening now. We haven't gotten there technically in the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones, but I think it's just a matter of time. And so, you know, it's interesting if you look at the history of bear markets and bull markets, and this can be, I've seen several charts on this over the years. Historically, and I think that the dot-com bubble back in 2000 is one of the best examples. The most money went into the stock market at the end of the bubble when the market was still going up and the NASDAQ, I think, in the last year went up almost 80% in a year. More money went into the market at the very top, okay? And then two and a half years later in March of 2002, that was when the most selling happened. So after the market had dropped, you know, 30, 40%, that's when people said, I don't want to do this anymore and sold. And then the market started going up again. So our job is to help our clients, you know, not be emotional, not try and, you know, get in on the latest fad and buy something while the market's ripping higher and definitely don't sell when the market's going down. Because as I said before, the stock market is like the only store where when things go on sale, everybody rushes to the exits. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Now let's talk about someone who is retired already and they're looking at say the next almost 20 years of their life or so say in their plan. Is it too late for them to worry about a a market bouncing back? Like, you know, maybe they're looking at the number of years that they have. And sometimes you say, Oh, it takes time or you're going to be investing over time. So what if time is not really on your side? How do you work with clients through that? Well, think about, think about a client who retired in October of 2007, and which was the high of the, of the market. And that was before Lehman Brothers failed and Bear Stearns failed and the housing crisis mm-hmm. really came to fruition and a lot of different banks went away. And this think the stock market over a period of, of you know, a year and a half went down 47 or so percent. If you retired in October of 2007, you collected your last paycheck, you know, fate and timing was not your friend. Right. Because the market, you know, then went down for the next, it didn't bottom until March of 2009. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was a long, slow drip mm-hmm. of constant recurring losses. Okay. If you take, I think, and I'm pretty sure I'm close to, you know, statistically ac- accurate on this. If you take the high of the market from 2007 through the beginning of this year, you still average about 10%. Hmm. Okay. Now that would be tough to get through if you couldn't get through the first couple of years of the market going down. Okay. And that's why I think it's important in the planning process. The first thing you, we always work backwards from, we always work backwards from, do you have enough liquidity on hand and do you have, or do you have access to liquidity? So, you don't want to be put in a position of having to sell to pay your bills. Right. That's 
That's bad planning. Yes. Okay. So at the outset, you want to make sure that you have enough funds available without having to sell to cover yourself for a year, year and a half, two years. And don't forget, if you have a diversified portfolio, even today, you're going to be collecting dividend income, right? Mm -hmm. So even during the financial crisis, you know, companies cut their dividends, but within, you know, not too long a period of time, they didn't cut them to zero. And with before too long, a lot of companies were reinstating their dividends or increasing their dividends. I mean, that's one of the ironies about this year. You know, I, I think that there's some of the projections are that companies might increase their dividends in 2022 by up to 10%. Mm. So, you know, mm. if you have, if your dividend income is, is $20,000 by the end of the year, it might be $22,000, right, right. which is good. When you say to have cash on hand, so you're saying like park it somewhere where it's not tied up in an investment over a long period of time that you can get access to it. Do you have any recommended places that like, I mean, other than a bank or CD or what, what, what well, kind of recommendations do you make to clients? I, there's, there's, there's countless number of investment products, you know, money markets are not what they used to be. It's sort of a, you know, the, there were some problems with money markets during the financial crisis in, in 07 through 09, but there's still money markets available. You know, uh, bank deposits are still very, very low. You know, I don't want to go into specific recommendations, but there are things you can do with, with, with your liquidity. But at the end of the day, at least to me, you're not keeping your cash reserves to make money with. Right. It'd be nice to make a little bit of money, but you're keeping your cash reserves because if you need cash, you need cash. Okay. And, and at the end of the day, if, if most things that pay interest, when you think about it, at the end of the day, if you're getting something you're collecting interest on, whether it's a bank deposit, a CD, a government bond, a municipal bond, you're lending whoever you're giving the money to, you're lending them the money and they're paying you an interest rate. Even though interest rates have risen, short-term interest rates are still very low. So you're not going to make a lot of money on it. And I would make the case that I would feel more strongly about the availability of the liquidity, or as I've heard before, return of capital rather than return on capital when it comes to my short-term money or our client's short-term money. Mm. Oh, I like that. I like that. Now, speaking of stocks with bonds and treasuries, like when... Are they related? So when stocks go down, treasuries or bonds go up or vice versa, how, how are the three of them related? Well, what you're talking about is, is correlation and are stocks and bonds positively correlated? And at different points in time, stocks and bonds may be positively correlated or they may be negatively correlated. Correlated meaning, do they move in the same direction at the same time? Okay, this year uh, is, is interesting because there has been very few places to hide and certainly very few places to hide for people who don't have the, the expertise to invest in more complicated strategies like uh, uh, commodities and things like that. Because I believe the Barclays aggregate bond index, at least through the end of, of April, was probably down seven or eight percent. And that would be an index of the broadest nature of, of the bond market, down seven or eight percent. And, you know, I think that the stock market through the end of April was probably down 12 or 13%, depending upon which index you're looking at. So, you know, down eight or down 13, I wouldn't say there was, you know, diversification between stocks and bonds 
didn't really give you any hiding places. Okay, so the thing about bonds, and my this is just my personal opinion, is the mathematics for bonds are very difficult because even today, if you buy a 10-year treasury, okay, you're lending the government $1,000, right? Because most bonds traded $1,000. So you're lending the government $1,000 for the next 10 years if you buy a 10-year treasury. I think today the interest rate on a 10-year treasury bond is about 2.8%. So that means that every year for the next 10 years, the government's going to give you an interest payment of a whopping $28. Okay. And at the end of this 10 years, they give you $1,000 back. That's all you're going to get. Okay. Well, inflation right now, which is not going to stay here, I don't think, but it, I think today it came out at 8.3%. So in real terms, that $28 is losing value by roughly $83 a year. Right? Right. At the end of the day, you're not making any money on a bond that's paying 2.8%. And interest rates are probably, you know, slowly but surely, I think over time, going to go higher. So that makes that a tough, a tough place to live. Mm. But the good news is, at the end of the 10 years, you know you're getting your money back. True. So, so some people like that guarantee right, right. with a treasury bond and that sort of thing. So as part of your whole overall financial plan, would you say that it's more proactive or reactive or a little bit of both mixed in? I, I think reactive investing is the largest problem with most investors is to react, you know, to react and invest, to buy something because you heard about it on TV or you heard about it from a neighbor at a cocktail party. God forbid you heard it from your Uber driver or a cab driver. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, it happens. <laughs> You, <laughs> I remember back during the dot-com crash, you know, there was a lot of chatter about how people were getting stock tips from cab drivers in New York City. You know, typically that's a sign of a frothy market. Um, but I think you want to avoid reactive investing. And I think you want to have a plan and you want to execute your plan. You know, and who is it? Mike Tyson, I said... Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, okay? Our, our job is to make sure that when the market metaphorically punches you in the face, you don't abandon your plan because that's actually, you know, it'll work, okay? And there's not one plan for everybody. Everybody's circumstances are different. So, you know, at least when you work with the Hilton Group, there's no one portfolio that's set up for everybody, because everybody's circumstances are different. People's liquidity needs are different. People's goals are different. People's time frames are different. People's ability to, you know, absorb risk is different. And so I think you definitely want to be proactive and you definitely want to stick to the plan when times get tough because that's, that's why the plan is there, to help you make smart decisions, especially during volatile markets and not react emotionally. Is it safe to say that we can put our worries in you? <laughs> right? I mean, in you and your financial plan, financial advisors at the Hilton Group saying you I would rather them. people put our their confidence in in us because you know, placing their worries on me is very stressful. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But but on a serious note, you know, a lot of the conversations we've had, I mean, many of our clients have been with us for 
decades. Some have been with us for, you know, a few years, but some have been 20, 30 years. And, you know, I was working on Saturdays because, I mean, it's times like these when people want to hear from their financial advisor. And that's one of the reasons, you know, just to, 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 to deflect for a second, you know, we keep the number of clients that we work with to a manageable number, which is a smaller number than a lot of advisors have. Because in times like these, people need to hear from you. Right. What happens with us, though, so that what I was thinking of, what I was going to allude to a second ago, is I called a fellow. We've worked together. He came to our financial planning seminar that we used to teach at Roger Williams University. It was probably like 94, 95. We worked together for, what is that, 25, 27 years? And I said, you know, Paul, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, why are you calling? Why are you calling on a Saturday? I said, well, you know, the markets. He goes, Jamie, we've been here before. What are you doing in the office on a Saturday? <laughs> And, I, you know, so then we talked about a lot of different things. And we, I, I managed to talk to him a little bit about my expectations of the market just so I could feel good about having said, you know, I'm not sure that this down cycle's done yet and you got plenty of cash on hand, so we should be good. He's like, why are we talking about that? And, and, and that, to me, is really gratifying mm-hmm. because we've been through, in his particular case, you know, the market crash in 2000 and then, you know, the, the housing bubble and then when the... U.S. debt got downgraded in 2011. We've been through all that together. Right, right. You know, so he's seen the movie before, and he's heard us. He's heard our shtick on what to do during volatile markets, which is, you know, what you want to avoid. You definitely want to avoid. And by the way, most investors, a lot of investors without advisors, and quite a few with advisors, do not adhere to this maxim. You want to avoid when in danger. When in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. That is not a good investment discipline. Right. <laughs> that is not a strategy. <laughs> that is not a strategy. Right, right. Well, maybe that's the reason why you want to work with a financial advisor and not use like personal financial software to do your plan, right? To work with you. It, 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 different people function in different ways and there's not, you know, everybody's different. So people don't have the same objectives. They don't have the same mindsets. Some people, you know, candidly are not good clients for us or they're not good potential clients for us because they have a hard time taking advice. I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they have a hard time taking advice. Mm. Our, our best clients are what we, how we define as family stewards. They're people who have, you know, worked hard, made money, saved money, and want to be able to live in the style to which they become accustomed. But they also are thinking about their future generations, whether it's their children or their grandchildren, or those organizations that are very important to them. And so it's a very long time frame thing, okay? And, and so our job is to make sure that they can, you know, we've done the planning and we've got the strategies in place, whether it's the investment planning or the retirement planning or the philanthropic giving planning, those things are all in place. And just because the market's going down 15, 20, 30, 40% doesn't mean that those plans are invalid. In many cases, it means maybe we need to review them but maybe now is a better time to put money to work than it was when the market was higher. Okay. So, so it takes discipline 
And I, I think that in some cases, folks who don't have an advisor tend to buy high and sell low. I mean, the statistics, there are places where you can go and find the statistics on money flows of money going into the market and money going out of the market. And history is very clear, especially in the big moves. Okay. The way that I, one of the ways I put it is the masses are generally wrong at the major inflection points. So the, the masses, and you can just look at the statistics from the, from the, from the dot-com bubble. Most of the money flowed into the stock market right near the top. And most of the money flowed out. People sold, you know, in February, March of, 20, of 2009, when the market had already dropped 47%. Hmm. Then it went off on the, one of the biggest bull markets of, you know, all time. Yeah, yeah. So does past performance predict anything in the future in your world? Uh, from a regulatory standpoint, no. Because past performance does not guarantee future results. That's what was on every disclaimer you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that the history of the stock market would indicate that the down cycles in the stock market are temporary and the ups are permanent. And the increases in dividends over time tend to be very lasting and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And they compound. So, so that goes back to, you know, liquidity and then longevity and legacy, which are the three of the pillars that UBS uses in terms of that planning, having money for, for your liquidity, for the things that you need, having money invested for longevity for the rest of your life. Because if the average person retires at 62 or 65, I like it until they're in the sixth inning of a nine inning baseball game. They still yeah. got a ways to go. Right. 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 And so they, they're, and, and sometimes folks are nervous when they retire because they've just got their last paycheck. Right. And now people are living longer. And yeah. Now they're healthy. untethered from the paycheck, you know, machine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, you know, so now they're out there on their own. Right. Right. That's a very nervous time. It is. And, and I think that that's, you know, why having a, a plan in place and understanding what you need your money to do for you mm -hmm. is very important. And. The one thing I think the biggest risk over a 20 or 30 year period is actually the, the effects of inflation. And I'm not talking about the 8% inflation we're having now, even if you only had 2.5% inflation. Over 10 years, without even compounding, that means you have 25% loss in your purchasing power. Mm. Think about that. That is scary. Right. Yeah. Well, not scary. Okay. It's not scary if, if, you, if you think about it. Face your fears, Betty. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> you, you, if you think about it ahead of time and you plan for that, then you know that cash is not going to be a good investment because cash has very low returns. Historically, it's never higher than inflation. Right now, it's well below inflation. Mm -hmm. But things that grow and have growing income, they have a better combative effect. You know, they have a better better. Uh, characteristics to combat the effects of inflation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about it at a time, and that's one of the things I think is great about planning. The, 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 the important thing that you can do during planning is identify the blind spots. 
you know, what are the things that are potential dangers that you need to know about? Right. I was going to ask you about that because I was thinking about nervous things when you're saying being nervous. Like, what are some of the financial blind spots? You do mention them on your website in the wealth planning for life section of your website. What are some of the blind spots that your clients have experienced or that you have seen and helped navigate them away from? I think it changes from client to client. I think that, you know, uh, for some, it's really what they need their money, to, you know, understanding how compounding works, understanding how inflation works. You know, the big, ugly bear in the room is the stock market. Stock mm-hmm. market's really risky. Well, it's really risky if you're trying to make invest, you know, have an investment strategy that, that spans, you know, day to day. But if you think about the most successful investors, you know, people, everyone likes to talk about Warren Buffett, you know, he owns companies for decades, you know, and, and I remember in the financial crisis, pretty sure I'm right about this, when a couple of big investment houses had, had gone out of business, you knew you were near the bottom when he made a big investment in one of the big investment banks. It's like, hmm, mm-hmm. the whole world's going to heck in a handbasket. And Warren Buffett just invested several, several billion dollars, or billions of dollars into this well-known investment bank. Huh. Hmm. He's a bargain shopper. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so you know that that's why having you know the you know blind spots, people like him take advantage of other people's fear, and it's not he's not opportunistic. It doesn't make him a bad guy. But when you have panic selling, smart people are buying. Mm. But you know other blind spots might be, you know, do you have a will? You know, is your estate plan you know consistent with what your intentions are? You know, if I got bonked on the head on the way home, and do I have disability insurance that would, you know, continue to, you know, help my wife cover our expenses at home? Um, you know, the, the blind spots can come in any one of a number of different areas. They're not always financial. Sometimes they're personal. And sometimes they're, they're other types of planning based. But that's part of our job is to help folks identify their blind spots and then make sure that or do our best to make sure that there are strategies in place to help them address those things. Mm-hmm. I really like that because your invest your plan really goes beyond just the investment portfolio. It takes into a consideration like when you say wealth planning for life, it takes into consideration those life experiences or situations that you have to really plan for. In my phone call today, in my phone calls today before I came to do this podcast with you, I had conversations or, or communications with CPAs, with attorneys of our clients, doing stuff, planning stuff, mm. taking care of issues. So in the best relationships, we are in touch on an as-needed basis with our clients, CPAs, their attorneys, their insurance people. So, you know, and all those things take care of blind spots. We're working on a case right now for a client, a client of 25 years. And they're going to sell their interest in, the, in their business and they're going to have someday a very big estate tax. So we've helped them with a strategy to take old insurance policies that they had, which candidly would have ballooned their estate tax bills eventually and have created strategies to, to make the death benefits of the insurance policies actually help to pay the estate taxes. Mm. That's not investment work. But that was a big blind spot that came about through years of other folks doing work, 
not really paying attention to the big picture and actually creating a larger liability as opposed to helping the client and their family accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. They had a picture in mind and they thought everything was taken care of, but they didn't really understand the details. And so they're going to be in a, you know, better position because they have better planning. Right. I mean, are you acting like the quarterback on a team where you, you have a team of these other advisors like tax attorneys, accountants, people like that, estate planning well, attorneys? In terms of being the quarterback, uh, I would say sometimes I am the irritant that keeps people <laughs> moving forward on their what they're supposed to be doing on behalf of the client. You know, like, come on, we need, you know, let's, let's go, keep going, keep it going. Now, where, where is that document? Where is this, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm the question, question asker, mm-hmm. right? Um, having spoken with, you know, a client and, you know, have a conversation and you know, questions come up, well, it might be outside of my area of expertise. And so I'll help, you know, um, maybe I'll call the CPA or the, or the estate planning attorney on behalf of the client. And then, you know, you know, instigate a conversation. So quarterback sometimes, um, you know, uh, uh, person who keeps the process, conveyor belt operator, sometimes that would be, be my job, but also facilitator to right. get the right people together to make sure we're having the right conversations. And the behavioral therapist. Let's not forget that. That's, that's <laughs> our day job. Yeah, that's your day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jamie, for spending time today to talk to us about financial planning and the importance of it during a volatile market. This has been another episode of Charting the Course, the official podcast of the Hilton Group. 